Okay, welcome to the Saturate Podcast. Duke Rivard here, uh, along with Jeff Vanderstel. Uh, we're excited uh, to be back in 2021, and we've got a great episode today. We're going to talk about uh, developing elders in a church and missional communities. Um, so, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Duke. Yeah, how was your holiday? You guys have a good time in the weirdness of COVID? Yeah, you know, it was great, actually. It was probably may- maybe a little more laid back than normal. Uh, which was kind of fun, just getting to be with the family and play games and got to get up on the slopes and ski. A little sore about from that, but it was good. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, ours was great as well. Uh, We really enjoyed a slower pace and got to sleep in, got to do a lot of relaxing things, which means we're coming into the new year with a lot of energy and excitement. So that's great. Well, let's jump right in uh, to the episode. Um, One thing we know about any organization is that as goes the leadership, so goes the org, or so goes the family. So this is this is true of our government, it's true of uh, businesses, it's true of families, it's certainly true of the church, that uh, your church is never going to be healthier and more mature and more fruitful than the elders. And so that's God's design, that's just the way life and, and relationship and human community works. And so elders are, are really important in a church. And and so we want to know how do we make sure that elders are qualified, equipped, and really effective in leading God's church uh, into his mission, to his glory. And so uh, we, we know that, we believe that. And I think every every elder-led church in the world believes that. But tonight, so we'll spend, today, we'll, we'll spend some time uh, on the general elder reality. But I think, Jeff, even in time, I've been around you over the years and some of the convictions you and I know we, we both share there's probably going to be some things that aren't always talked about that might be a little bit different uh, in a church that really is committed to discipleship in every day, uh, really is committed to uh, equipping and, and a real mobilization of the laity. Uh, and so you, you do you spend some time on some different things. And so I want to I want to talk about that um, as we as we jump in. Um, I'd really love for you, uh, Jeff, to, to kind of share your operating elder definition. You know, we know the word means overseer. We know it means leader generally. We know it means shepherd generally. But in terms of your operating definition, what is an elder really intended to do in, in Christ's church? Yeah, I, I guess I want to start with the maybe the caveat that I think a, a lot of times I see churches think of elders like a, a board, like from like a business model. Mm-hmm. Like these are maybe wise, successful people who can give really good counsel and feedback to an organization. And I think there's a place for that, like in nonprofits and businesses, like we want to have a board. But in the church, Paul's really clear to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, to put in place what was lacking to appoint elders in every town. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I look at the biblical definition of an elder, I'm going to go to 1 Peter 5, that they're exemplars. You know, mm-hmm. They are an example to the flock. Of what it really looks like to be a person that's known for love. I mean, mm-hmm. that's Paul's you know functional definition for why we instruct. The goal of our instruction is love. So they're mm-hmm. known for love. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example to say, like, look at them and follow their example. If you become like them, our church gets healthier, stronger, mm-hmm. and not just exemplars in the church, but exemplars outside. Paul's really clear to Timothy: you have a good reputation with outsiders. So people are looking from outside, even including these days social media, where it's like. What are, you, what are you known for on social media? What are you known for in your neighborhood? What are you known for in your workplace? Mm-hmm. Would the person who's outside the faith look in and be like, okay, 
I may not believe what you believe, but if I were going to want to be somebody, I'd want mm. to be like that. Yeah. Like that's that's an example of it, right? Yeah. yeah, as you say that, Jeff, who's, who's somebody that comes to mind when you think about somebody have a good reputation with outsiders, someone who's mature in love as an elder in Christ church? You go, you know what? This would be somebody that you could look at and go, yep, that's what it looks like in real, real life. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite examples of that is Bob Roberts, and I've gotten to travel with Bob, and I've seen him in the context of being with Muslim leaders and Jewish leaders. And, and then I've watched him interact online even. Mm-hmm. And I mean, almost every place I've ever seen Bob interact, the people that interact with him admire him. They feel loved by him. They speak well of him. Mm-hmm. And then he speaks well of them. And mm-hmm. he, they know they're safe with Bob. Like mm-hmm. he's never going to tear them down behind their back. Mm-hmm. And he, he says it all the time. He's like, now, we need to be known for being the kind of people that anybody, even our enemies, feel safe with yep. because we're not going to tear them apart. Mm-hmm. They know that if they left the room, whatever we said to them in their to their face, we would also say, get behind your back. Mm-hmm. I love that about Bob. I mean, he is one of the best exemplars of being a man of love, great conviction. He does not mince words. Mm-hmm. He does not in any way shrink back in what he believes. Sure. But he does it in such a loving way that everybody wants to be around him. Okay. That's remarkable. That's yeah. huge. Yeah, keep going. How, what else do you add to your definition? Yeah, so they're exemplars both inside and outside the body. They're amongst hmm. the flock. First Peter 5 says these are shepherds who are amongst the flock. So they're known. They're not hiding out in a green room or a study. Hmm. I mean, people watch their lives. They see what it looks like. They're among, they smell like the sheep. That's the hmm. language we like to use a lot mm-hmm. in our context. Like shepherds should smell like sheep. Yep. If, if they've been with the sheep, they, they people know them, they've been with them, they watch their life, they're an example who's present. Mm-hmm. So amongst third, they have a household faithfulness. They, they It's kind of the small, big principle, like what you do with a few, you can do with the many. And so mm-hmm. they lead their own household in these ways. You could probably hang out with them at the dinner table or wherever else and be like, I'm seeing you do the work of leading a church with your family. Mm-hmm. Like they're your first church mm-hmm. in that sense. And then that should be able to go beyond that to like a small group of people. For us, that's missional communities. Like, yeah. could we point to an oikos, a household fellowship that we could say they were a shepherd of, mm-hmm. and they they did did that well. Mm-hmm. So their their exemplars there as well, and they're amongst that group of people well, and living it out mm-hmm. in such a way that they can now, like Paul says, you can manage the household of faith. Like mm-hmm. you can manage your own household then maybe we can manage the household of faith. But if you can't manage your own household, mm-hmm. how can you manage the household of God? Yep. And, so, and then lastly, uh, they're able to teach others then to do the same. And teaching, I think it's important to clarify, is not informing. It, equipping is very different than just informing people. So it's not like I can tell you what the Bible says. No, it's I can teach you to obey it. Mm-hmm. I can help you live it out. Mm-hmm. And so they should have examples where they can point to, here's the people I've been discipling. Here's the way they're living their lives. You can look at how I've not only been an example of monks managing my own household, but also disciples that have been raised up under my leadership. Yeah, that's so huge, Jeff. Yeah, that's a great one. So to recap, you said elders that are amongst who've proven household faithful uh, and then are able to have more authority to teach others. And it goes really well with them. Uh, the kingdom moves forward. I think one thing that we could we could even say, this is a little bit of a nuance, but I know your, your commitment to gospel saturation, commitment to city reaching uh, it's also not that I, I think at some level your elders have to have uh, someone, uh, some apostolic leader or some maybe evangelistic leader who's saying, yeah, it's not just about the status quo either. It's not just about man- there is the management of the household, which is essential. 
But there's also like the concern for those who don't yet believe, the concern for God's big story of what is he doing in the world that that includes us, but is also bigger than us. Mm-hmm. And, and we have a heart to see people who don't yet know, find out and hear and understand the gospel. So church planting, this gets into justice ministry in the city for people who aren't a part of our church. This gets into so many other layers that are bigger than, um, you know, an insular Hey, we just worry about our members and and making sure that they're in good shape and growing and and, and all that. And so it's a it's an inward and outward looking uh, reality. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about development. And so uh, if if you have a group, uh, and I just want to say as I look out over uh, churches and church plants, and as I coach you know church planners and cohorts and various uh, places, it it does seem like one of the most important indicators of whether or not a church plant is going to get momentum is can that, that lead planter, can that initial core team raise up some, some leaders and then those leaders prove themselves and, and some elders emerge and that a plurality truly emerge in this new church plant that starts to lead. Uh, but, but how do we get there? How do we get there from maybe a church planter uh, who is the first guy on the ground, uh, no elders yet? Uh, and then let's, let's say he has some people that he says, I think these men have household faithfulness. I think they have... Some, some things in place that could qualify them as elders. What, is, what does he do with them? How, how does he help them along to get them up to speed to be really fruitful and effective uh, in, a, in a church? Well, I think before we even talk about that, I think I don't want to assume something. I think uh, the, the thing I don't want to assume is that you're going to get people there. You know, mm-hmm. that's intentional. Like mm-hmm. getting people to a place where they're even ready to be developed as an elder requires a, a true disciple-making strategy and pathway. So mm-hmm. if the way you organize your church, your time together never allows you to see their life, be in the middle of seeing it. Are they an example? Are they, an, you know, this exemplar kind of person? Like if you, if you structure everything where you never see life and you never do life together, then you'll never be able to actually determine whether or not these are the people we should pour our life into mm-hmm. for that next development process. But I think once you are there and you realize, yeah, we've got people who clearly have the ability to step into a development process I look at a variety of different things. The first and most important thing for me is character. Mm -hmm. Like character always, always, always trumps everything else. It also always undermines. Mm. Like if it's unhealthy, it will take you out. It'll it'll hurt the church significantly. So character is going to be really important. And do do I have a track record? Can I see in their life over time the kind of person that I would entrust my own family to? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's going to be a big part. And when I think about character... I'm thinking about, like, has the gospel gone to their heart? Like, do I see emotional transformation, emotional health? Because mm. uh, if all you got are people who can articulate the gospel or uphold good doctrine or maybe even have great leadership abilities, mm-hmm. but I've not seen emotional healthiness mm. or healthy leaders. I've not seen a process of them owning, repenting, tra- being transformed by the gospel at the heart level. Then I, I think we've got to slow down. Yeah. And so that's going to be one of the most important well, things. Let me let me ask you on that. So what would be um, an artifact or what would be an evidence of a guy who has really experienced the gospel at the heart, really has a relational intimacy with Jesus? Uh, how do you know? And how is it different than a guy who has been to seminary, studied a lot, read a lot, or is a great leader? Um, yeah, what, what are some of the telltales? Well, I mean, there's a variety. Of them. One, the first one, when you talk about, like, you know they— their relationship with Jesus is real. It's like, I'm going to get after discipleship that starts with, tell me about what it's like being with Jesus. Hmm. Like, I don't want to just hear your thoughts about Jesus. I want to know if you're having thoughts with Jesus. Are you thinking the thoughts of Christ? Like Jesus says, 
We're going to be one with him. John 17, his fathers, I am in you and you are in me. May they be in us. John 15, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. So it's like, that's relational mm-hmm. uh, in nature. That's not just knowledge. And so I want to know, what's the relationship with Jesus like? What is he saying to them? What are they? Are you having thoughts with Jesus? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the influencers for me more recently are like Dallas Willard and Jim Wilder and others who are talking about this idea that true maturity is all about ultimately going to come from attachment. But mm-hmm. I'm only going to grow up in Christ likeness if I'm learning to be with Jesus, because mm-hmm. I'll become more like him if I'm with him. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I'm going to start. I want to know the nature of their relationship in a true dynamic way mm-hmm. with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so, I, and you'll know the difference because they'll be able to talk about what Jesus is saying to them mm-hmm. and it'll show up because their life will start to look like Jesus. How they respond to conflict will look like Jesus. How they handle their, their relationships with their spouse, their kids, their neighbors. It'll look like how Jesus would do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at that. Those are going to be real telltale signs for me. Yeah, that's huge. And then in terms of, uh, yeah, once you've identified some, let's say some guys who are are with Jesus, they clearly have an affection for him. They clearly have strong character. Uh, what are you doing with them to cultivate maybe even some of the competencies or, or some of the practices that you didn't have to practice to lead the church well? Yeah, it's going to be a mixture of getting time together for ongoing development of character. It's going to be really more didactic. Let's make sure they know their doctrine and mm-hmm. they can not only teach it, but refute those who oppose it. Uh, and then it's going to be real practical ministry experience. And so we can kind of walk through those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, let's go up to the sound doctrine. Like one of the basic things for me is I'm, you know, I try to identify what are the key things that they need to be able to teach. Mm-hmm. And again, not just teach to know, but teach to to that practice. So, uh, and I've got, you know, I've got kind of categories that I kind of put them in. One's biblical authority. What's their view of the Bible? How does that just demonstrate it by how they submit to it or not submit to it? Can they, does God speak to them through his word? Can they mm-hmm. get, you know, observations of that in their own life? So biblical authority, um, looking at what their view of salvation. Mm-hmm. And I, that's where I'm going to look at gospel fluency. Do they know the tenses of the gospel? Can they apply them to everyday life? Can they speak? The, the gospel effectively to situations. Mm-hmm. Um, what's their ecclesiology, the real of the church? Uh, can they talk about who she is, what she does, her role in the world? Those are basic things they need to be able to uphold, sure. including like how she's led, governed. So governance around that, we need to make sure they're clear on that and that they can uphold from scripture what it looks like to have a church led mm-hmm. by elders and served with deacons. And where do they get that from? What's their eschatology of view of end times and even especially the kingdom? Mm-hmm. Like, do they have a present view of the kingdom? That's a big one for us. Like, if they don't believe the kingdom of God was inaugurated with his first coming, Jesus' first coming, and then consummated his second, then they're going to not live with a very embodied reality of the kingdom. That's mm-hmm. really important. Um, that they have a, a proper biblical view of, of men and women, sexuality, mm-hmm. marriage. For us, that's complementarian. Yeah. That's expression. Sure. Um, that they understand biblical stewardship, that they can teach biblical stewardship as regular giving, sacrificial giving, joyfully giving, not just that they can teach it, but they can demonstrate they're doing it themselves mm-hmm. and have led others to do it. Yeah. And then lastly, that church discipline is a really big one, that they, they know the difference between a Matthew 18 process of discipline and a First Timothy 5 process of the discipline of a leader. Mm-hmm. Now, those are really important that they're able to articulate that and show how they would work it out in real life. Yeah, that's great. I know, I know you, Jeff, and I know you're, you're deep, you're deeper um, 
acronym that you use. I know that you're really committed to not just letting people get content going into the head, but also into the hands, the practice. Uh, what are some things you, you do with elders that help to demonstrate competency in real real life um, where you're seeing them do things, not not just they read a book about it, they read a chapter about it. We discussed it for a while. Yeah, I, I would back up and just say one of the ways that I like to think about any discipleship is that in a sense we're doing spiritual parenting. Mm-hmm. And so like when I think about my kids, uh, you know, when they were at the right age, they learned how to do certain things that were age appropriate. And as, when I talk to parents, I say, don't do for your kids what they should be able to do for themselves. Mm-hmm. And increasingly, as they're getting older, they're doing it under your authority and you're going to give them more and more responsibility. So in a sense, you're, you're shadowing their shadowing. They're watching you do it. And then eventually you're going to watch them do it. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true with elder development. It's like you've got to give them real practical opportunities to shadow you, to see mm-hmm. you do it, and then for them to do it, you watch them do it. And yeah. so not only in all these categories I just gave you, should you be doing that, mm-hmm. but I think in that more culturally time timely situations, like this last group season we just went through, it's like, okay, what does the Bible teach about governing authorities and submitting to, in this case, our governor mm-hmm. in Washington? So I'm going to like have them wrestle with what does the scripture say about what we do when our governor says you're not supposed to gather mm-hmm. or you need to wear a mask? And and there's all kinds of views on that, but a lot of people didn't do their work biblically. And if mm-hmm. you're going to train up elders, you throw them into that place and you say, how are you going to work that out? And I want you to have a conversation with people about why we believe this in our church. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to watch how they handle that because that's going to have conflict. It's going to be tense as it has been. Yeah. And you start to see the real character come out. You see proficiency come out and you see competency come out. And so I want to create as many environments like that. And my hope in all of my elder development is how can I create as many real life situations that I know they're going to have to deal with Mm -hmm. as an elder, you know, marital conflict, dealing with church discipline, teaching about giving, you name, I mean, you name it. I want to kind of see every category addressed in some way where they shadowed so they could see it. And then we shadow them so we can watch it. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, case studies are awesome. So anytime you can take something that's real, something you know is going to come up, marriage conflict, um, you know, view of, yeah, some kind of uh, position paper or like what is our view on this hot topic that is really pressing into the culture. Uh, but what, what I love about what you said about civil disobedience, and I, I know this last year, uh, you got the opportunity to train the Soma Tacoma elders in training, the church that you planted. Yeah. You went back and you worked with them. And so uh, that idea of, a real, not only a case study, but something that was really actually happening in the church. And it's like, okay, guys, we're going to do this together and it matters. And it's not, it's not theory because our church needs to understand right now what we're going to do in light of the scripture. Um, and to be that, as you've told that story, I just think that's, that's the best case study because it's even the leaders, they feel the weight of this really matters. And, and, and we're going to really apply whatever we come down with biblically. We're actually going to stay on the stage and, and communicate to the church. And we're going to begin to practice it and, it, and it's real. And so they're getting development that, um, again, is not esoteric. It's not hypothetical. It's, no, no, let's start to do eldership together. Uh, you're not all to, to yourself yet. You know, we're not asking you to do it by yourself, uh, but let's do it together. And so, yeah. Have you got any other opportunities where you've seen that kind of thing where it was real time and it was like, in a way, maybe it's even a crisis, but you're kind of thankful because you're like, 
because I get to train them, right? You want certain things with your kids to happen while they're still in your home so that you can walk with them through it, see how they handle it before they're in college, that kind of thing. Uh, have you seen the other? Yeah, like that? We, yeah we've, we've, we got to see a marriage that was falling apart mm-hmm. and say, okay, how are you going to step into that and help them work through and counsel them towards staying together? Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that real time. Uh, I, we've gotten to see... Um, uh, people who in the political situation. I mean, this last year with with the, the election and everything, and like the church dividing over mm-hmm. that, and actually engaging in slander mm-hmm. and beginning to have infighting in the church and division. I love throwing uh, an emerging <laughs> elder, potential you know elder, into that, and ideally with someone else, and be like, "How are you going to handle that? How are you going to fight for unity? Mm-hmm. Because that's what the part of our jobs is to keep the, to maintain the unity of the spirit." And yeah. so. That was very real time this last sure. year, you know. And then, you know, I, I we get to go to the bedside or the bedside of someone who's sick. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, part of the things that elders do is they anoint with oil and pray for healing. Yeah, let's do that together. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the reality is, if you if you're really intentional about your discipleship process and your leadership development of elders, you're going to have your own. You're going to have plenty of opportunities. You've got to start bringing them into it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times, elder development in all classrooms. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where most are failing is that you're going to then throw them into real life and all they've ever known is theory. Mm-hmm. And that's like seminary. It's like yeah. you spend four years in seminary, but you didn't actually do the work mm-hmm. leading a church. And then you have to go be a pastor yeah. and then you freak out because you yeah. didn't know what you were doing all the time. Yeah. So I think there's that. I, I know one thing we do at DOXA uh, is that when someone becomes an official elder nominee, which is after they've already gone through you know, being an example of the flock, someone that we could point to, uh, someone who's already made it through a lot of the initial stages of us saying, I think they're ready, but mm-hmm. let's have, let's be slow. Paul says, let's be slow and laying on hands. He says that to, first, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, we take almost a year or more, sometimes mm-hmm. it will take two years, of them being in elder meetings, them dealing with shadowing real situations, and then we go away for five days every year, elders and wives come to do a vacation together. And it's intentional. We pray together. We celebrate together. But I want to see these people out of their normal element and get to be in the same house with them for five days, eat meals, watch conflict. Like, it happens. <laughs> and I would say if you don't do that kind of life together where you get out of the formality hmm. and you get into the more regular, normal rhythms of life, you probably won't see what they're really like. So that's a big part for us is I want to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got to create the opportunities for all those opportunities to be, to be observed. Sure. Sure. Well, let's, yeah, let's talk about some of the discipleship and leadership practice that an elder is going to have to be proficient in and prove proficient in. And so if you were going with like a, a scope and sequence of competencies or a scope and sequence of, Hey, you're going to have to know how to do this. Uh, what's on the list for you of things that you just think they've got to be there? And, I, and, and ideally, I, I get to observe them doing it before they're appointed. Yeah, I want to have seen them probably share the gospel with a non-believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to know how to do that. I want to see how they've discipled some people. Mm-hmm. So that might be the, a DNA group. Like, that's kind of how it works for us. It's like, do you have two other guys that you meet mm-hmm. with regularly? And what's their life looking like the more time you've spent with them? Mm-hmm. Uh, want to watch the proficiency in leading a missional community. Have they been able to create an environment for discipleship and see disciples and hopefully apprentice leaders raised up mm-hmm. in that? I want to be in their house because I want to watch how they handle themselves with their kids, their wife, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. Uh, we call their neighbors or their co-workers 
to find out what's what's it like to be on the other side of them as a neighbor and a coworker. Yep. Um, if they're a boss, call their someone that's under them. Hmm. Um, and we always want to call at least one or two non-believers. So we'll ask them to identify some non-believers in their life who know them that they have a reputation with, and we'll just say, "Hey, we take seriously what it's like to be a leader in our church. We think how they handle themselves." In, in their community is really important because yeah. we know that that's what people know of Jesus. Yeah. And so let me ask you, what are, what are they known for in your life? Mm-hmm. And how would you say you would think of, what do you think about Jesus because of their life? Mm-hmm. I think it's a really good question to say, like, do they have a good reputation with outsiders? So I'm looking for that. I do want to see them teach. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got to see if they can uphold doctrine. Yeah. We actually do a formal exam as well. So it's like, I want to see how they answer key questions. Yeah, just Bible knowledge and theology. Right. Yeah. Just I like I like that part, Jeff, because I've in a couple of environments I've seen where we didn't do a thorough, holistic, uh, something like an exam, mm-hmm. and and you don't find out till later that there's some some gaps because you just you did cover a lot of theology, you spent time on that, but you didn't do it systematically. And so then you come back, oh, you didn't know that about the Old Testament. That's kind of important. You know, that's kind of a big gap in your understanding that, that you mentioned earlier, the kingdom, or you didn't understand uh, something that is, is significant. So, um, yeah, I, I like the idea. I know what you're saying is mostly informal and relational, not informal, but highly relational and organic. And yet I also hear you saying, no, but there's a place for a very thorough exam that's going to look under a lot of different rocks to see, okay, where are you with that? Um, so yeah. we're not just looking for gaps. We're also looking for uh, divergence. Hmm. So like we've discovered in this last round with some elders, that one of the elder, one of the potential elders uh, had a pretty low view of the authority of God's word hmm. and whether or not it's actually inspired and hmm. trustworthy. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, I need to know that because if we would have been on the other side of appointing you and now you have authority over the church and you're fundamentally saying, I don't know that I trust God's word. Yeah. We're in trouble. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes people are so quick to lay on hands because they need leaders yeah. that they aren't thorough enough to make sure that when that person does become an elder, because my conviction of eldership is it's a plurality. So mm-hmm. I now submit to that guy. Yeah. It's not just that I'm the lead planter and I get to have a group of people that help me do my work. I now submit to them. So if he's going, I don't know if I believe the word of God. Do I submit to that? Yeah. So I need to be thorough about that. And then for us, it's not just practice of disciple making in all those environments I just shared, Mm -hmm. biblical and theological knowledge, but also we take time to, to uh, go after, okay, let's check your marriage. Mm -hmm. So we, we use um, prepare and enrich kind of to assess their marriage. We have someone who's really good at that, that, so we, we have several people who are part of the elder process, not just one elder. Yep. So we have someone who's really good at the marriage stuff. We have them sit down with them on that. Others who are really good at the emotional health stuff mm-hmm. and have them. So there's like a lot more objectivity brought to the elder process. Mm-hmm. Like in Tacoma, they, didn't, they only had one elder when we stepped in to do it. Sure. So we used external elders from other churches to help with that process. So it was sure. thorough, objective. And we even looked at then their finances, their mm-hmm. budget, their debt to income ratio, all that stuff, mm-hmm. because they're going to have to manage the household of God. Yeah. And there's money involved. Yeah. And so I want to know they can handle it, that they have a, a deep conviction about giving, that they're not outspending their, what they receive, because a lot of churches get in trouble because they do the same thing yeah. as a church. So we're looking at that as well. 
Yeah, no, that's really, really huge. Um, yeah, you know, what other competencies uh, do, you, do you feel? So that there, um, you know, we, we've talked about the buddy system and the idea that to have an elder, we're going to drop them into a situation and they've got to be able to do the work of an elder when the other elders are out of town. It's, yeah. it's not it's not merely they can do it when they're next to you and they're chiming in and they're, they're adding a little bit of color commentary to what you're really doing. Uh, but they, they've got to stand alone. They've got to be able to do it. Um, besides all the things we've mentioned, which several of these things have been there, um, are there other things that you got, they've got to be able to do once they're in the role that, that we look at? Well, I mean, yeah, we said a bunch already and I think I want to pause there because I think it's important. Uh, we, we were, you know, talking earlier about the idea of raising up our kids and I know that I've done a good job with my kids when I can actually trust to leave them in my household alone and my, and Jane and I can go away. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the same thing is true of this, of an elder. So I, I could leave town and know that, you know what, if there's going to be conflict, and I think that's a big one, mm-hmm. if there's going to be conflict that they're going to have to step into, can they handle that with gentleness, mm-hmm. but strength? That they're not just going to be a yes man and just kind of give in to whatever the other person is fighting about or the couple are fighting about, whatever it may be, but they can bring strength that's compassionate, that there's gentleness in mm-hmm. your confrontation. Yeah, you know, elders got to be gentle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm looking for that. I'm I'm looking forward to, can they discern the voice of God? Mm-hmm. Like, like in that, you're not going to know that unless you're actually making decisions together. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're out of town and they have to make a decision when you're out there. You need to know yeah. they hear from God yeah. and they can discern what God's word says and what God's spirit is saying in the moment. Yeah. And the only way you learn that is by doing that together. Yeah. There's no other way to figure that one out other than having real issues that you have to pray for, prayerfully work through. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, Jeff, there's, I, I think this is coming up for me more than ever because I've started to see um, some elder teams. And, I, you know, you ask the question, hey, what is your process of discernment? So if you guys have a really big decision to make, what do you do? And, and you discover at times there's a lack of prayer in some, some elder teams. I mean, we don't want to admit that. And that sounds bad for elders that aren't really praying. Uh, but they, you know, some, some have a culture of uh, just debating uh, pros and cons of, I mean, there's any number of ways people make decisions. And it's, it's usually a function of their family of origin or a function of the, any other leadership group. You mentioned business boards in the past or, you know, some other grid that you've inherited that you think, okay, this is our... SWOT analysis, or this is our pros and cons list, or this is our way of looking at things. And the, and the question is, where is God's spirit in that? Yeah. Uh, you know, where is God in that? Like, it, it, do you have the ability to hear from him? Uh, because sometimes God, you know, well, all the time, God, <laughs> um, you know, well, I, I shouldn't say God. We, we don't all often have all of the facts. Yeah. As a, and I think even for an elder team to admit to themselves, hey, we, can't, we see through a glass dimly. As an elder team, even when we think we have all the pros and cons, even when we think we've done our best practices and we've called outside counsel and we've looked at this from lots of angles, we still see through a glass dimly. And so when we have access to the Holy Spirit, we have access to God who sees and knows all things from the beginning from the end, and we don't really have a practice of asking or a practice of, of sitting and, and uh, getting to neutral. Um, yeah, so Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, uh, Discerning God's Will Together, which I think is a great book a for viewers to read, by the way. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, she's got a chapter on leaders who are discerning. And she talks about consolation and desolation in your spirit as you think about things and, and what would contribute to love, which we've talked about as the goal of our instruction. But then she has this, also this section about, 
uh, getting to a place of indifference, which is I'm indifferent to anything but God's will. Yeah. Um, but but do I know God's will? Right. Because there's a time when I might just be coming in to argue with the other elders about what I want us to do. And there's, and there's a, another faction that wants to argue for what they want to do. And so now we're trying to 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 counter each other to get resources or to get directional, you know, green light to do the thing we really want to do. But that that's different in an elder team than, you know what, all of us as men are submitted to the spirit and we're indifferent to anything but the will of God. We're willing to come to this room having thought we thought it should go left and it might go right. And, and we and the spirit can move us yeah. and can lead us and we can get there. And I can let down some of my my preferences and some, I can let I can hold things loosely and different. But maybe talk a little bit about that, how you've seen elder teams cultivate the ability to discern God together, the ability to get to neutral or get to that indifferent place where they're willing to be led of the Lord and not, you know, not coming with their preconceived desire or preconceived um, outcome that they already know. And I just got to, how do I convince these other elders to, to land here? Yeah. You know, it's important that you recognize that you don't get there by just starting with them when they're ready to be equipped to be an elder. That's a culture you create in your church. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not, if you're not creating a culture of silence and solitude where they know how to be alone, quiet with God and listen, discern the voice of God in the midst of those spaces. If they don't know how to then just kind of become uh, indifferent. Like I think, I think one of the greatest practices of discipleship is saying, let your will be done, not mine. Mm. And if you don't teach that as a normal practice in your church, you're not going to also get them there when you get to elder level. Sure. Like that's that's part of their discipleship process. So you, I think creating places like that. So does the church get together and pray? Does the church in their times together in prayer be quiet together, mm. invite God to speak, hear what God's saying by listening to anyone, including the youth? Like mm. does a 15-year-old kid get to stand up and say, this is what I think God's saying to us and we're really going to, give that credibility or we're going to go like, no, you're young. You can't hear from God. Like already that's showing a lack of indifference. Mm-hmm. And so I think you create a culture for that. And then I think, and I know in our case, we just try to bask in prayer. Mm-hmm. Like all of our elder meetings have a significant portion at the beginning of prayer to kind of write, write ourselves with God. So we're ready to receive. Mm-hmm. Then anytime we're in the middle of a meeting and we sense something, the, the, desolation moment mm. and we're not experiencing constantly we're not experiencing ease mm. or peace it's like stop mm-hmm. we'll stop and pray right now let's yep. let, ask god to realign us or we're in conflict right now we know the spirit's not confused on this <laughs> so why are we yeah I mean, the spirit's not in conflict at all with the father and the son so let's let's invite the spirit to help us become indifferent again so we'll stop many times to a meeting go we, we need to stop and pray something's not right mm. And then we we end all of our elder meetings in a significant time of prayer. And we have learned, at least in our context, if we're not, we don't have that kind of consolation, that peace, that certainty, this is of the spirit, we don't make a decision. We slow down. We're like, okay, let's we might take longer. And that's not efficient. And that's really frustrating for people like me who want to get things done quickly. And yet it's the safest way to continue to discern God's voice because he doesn't always give it to you right away. And, uh, and so we've had some decisions that take a lot longer. And we'll just say, okay, let's enter into fasting now. Mm-hmm. And so let's fast for a while and pray and wait on the Lord. We'll wait till our next meeting. And I think that if you don't create that kind of culture, then you will do, you'll just make quick decisions based upon human reason. And sometimes they'll be okay. 
But you, you'll have a hard time convincing the church that you're listening to God. Mm-hmm. I think that's the question we get asked regularly. It's like, how did you hear from God together? And I know that's happening right now because we're looking at buying a building together. And several people ask, what was your process like in terms of listening to the voice of God? Which to me said we've created a culture that knows that that's the right question to ask. Yeah. Which I was so glad they're asking that because that means the church is thinking that way, not just the elders. Yeah. And it may be joining you in prayer. Yes. The elders asking the church, hey, would we have a significant decision? Would you be in it with us? Would you pray with us? We want to get it right. And now you're modeling for the bodies your submittedness. And and, and you're reinforcing that value, like you said, it hopefully is already there. Uh, but they're seeing it. It wasn't a one-off thing. It's a it's a culture of yeah. dependence. It's yeah. a culture of prayer. It's a culture of humility, mm-hmm. which just says, I don't know all things. I don't do all things well. I do see through a glass dimly. I need God's guidance. And and one of the stories I was I think of, which is just classic leadership fail, is uh, the Joshua 9, give me a night deception, right? And yeah. it's like, these guys tricked them into forming a treaty when God said, don't make a treaty. And they, they made their crusty bread and weather-worn bags. And, and the whole thing was they never consulted the Lord. That's right. They, they literally used what they could see. Um, and that's even, that, and I had to, you know, really caution myself. And I, I read a lot, you know, see best practices of other organizations and other churches. And, and you can survey the provisions, so to speak. Like, look at all the different things that your eyes can perceive uh, as inputs, and yet that's not enough. And, and to, for us to be able to say, hey, we want to get input. Now we want to know and be aware of options. We want to we talk to financial people about the implications of buying a building. We want to talk to all kinds of things, commercial real estate people, and we, we, we do the due diligence, but we know that we got to consult the board. And, and God is the, the head of the, Jesus is the head of the church, and we want to be led of him, even with our, our, our due, diligence, due yeah. diligence in place. So, um, you know, I'll say this, Duke. Um, I can't remember a decision that we made as elders where God didn't give us a unanimous mm-hmm. conviction. And I know some people would say, like, no, you're going to have times where you're just going to be divided and you got to go with a majority or whatever it may be, and your bylaws might say that. But I, I just can't think of a time. In fact, I've never wanted there to be a time mm-hmm. where, as elders, we didn't move forward with, Ability to say collectively, we believe this is what God is saying. Mm-hmm. And I I think we're too quick to just use voting procedures to make a decision instead of going like, man, if one of us is not feeling right about this, let's slow down. Yeah. You know, maybe there's something wrong in that guy's heart. Uh, maybe God wants us to pause. Maybe God wants to bring greater unity at heart. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that I think he'll do in those moments. And um so I would just, I mean, I would commend anybody listening to this. Um, I i think the practice of discerning God's will together may be one of the most important things elders can learn to do. Mm-hmm. Like there's lots of, all the stuff we said is really important. It's biblical. We want to keep upholding what scripture says about elders. But if you can't listen to God together, then you're going to have likely a divided elder body. Because mm-hmm. they're going to come in with their agenda. Mm-hmm. This is what I want. This is what I want. And you're going to be fighting over what we want instead of saying, what does God want? Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah. As we close, Jeff, I think one thing you, you alluded to earlier was kind of the first Timothy five principle, but in all of this, I think the thing that we would both encourage leaders to consider is make sure you have time that really is baked into your process that all the things we, we've said, uh, don't fast track them. Don't try to do it in three months or six months. 
because 1 Timothy 5 says that don't be hasty in laying on of hands. And the principle is because some sins show up later. It just kind of takes time for those things to bubble up. And then it says that even you know good deeds won't be able to remain hidden. Even the really godly and qualified leaders, even if they're not praying on street corners, they're not doing anything pharisaical to be seen by men, somehow you'll catch them doing the right thing. You'll catch them being faithful. You'll hear back from others in the city, man, that guy is so loving or that guy is so godly or he's always over there helping people. And I, you're, I didn't even know he was doing that. You know? And then you'll just eventually find out. Um, and so we want to we want to really be patient, um, but we also I want to caution leaders from you know seeing eldership as a, say a church planner as a one time thing. I remember when I did my elder process and then we got elders and now we just have elders um, because I consistently see that that elders elder teams are dynamic, not static, yeah. and so guys you know move away. You know, or guys sadly sometimes disqualify themselves, or they they get into a season with a, with a child sickness or with their job where their capacity is greatly diminished and they have to step away. Uh, and so the elder team is is always changing to some extent, and so you always have to have a farm system. You know, and and some 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 teams stay together for a long time. That's great if, if they can. Um, but yeah, we want to we want to challenge churches, encourage churches to, to not see this as a the one off, but to see it as a, a, an ongoing process that that always has a farm system. But um, maybe talk a little bit about that as we close. Just what do you guys do to ensure that you're never your pipeline's never empty? Uh, it's to say, three elders have to step down in one year. Yeah, well, I, I want to make sure that people hear the first thing you said there, and that is that don't be hasty. And if you don't make time in your plot process, you won't be able to see the, the true character. Character shows up over time, mm-hmm. you know. But with that said, I think then that plays into the elder process never ending because you you create time for elders to even be identified. Um, so for us and our concept, or the way we go after it is, we want to make sure every elder is always looking for someone to apprentice under them, mm-hmm. um, so that they can be developing them up along the way. We make sure. Uh, we have apprentice leaders in almost every area of our church. So like every missional community leader's got an apprentice leader. If you're in lead worship leading through music, then you've got your apprenticing new leaders. So everyone's got someone they're pouring into. And that's just a principle of multiplication mm-hmm. uh, throughout the whole thing, throughout the, all the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you do that, then, and when you ask the question, how are we going to ensure that it doesn't end at a certain, the, the ceiling isn't, uh, everyday disciple who never leads. Mm-hmm. That the ceiling ultimately, hopefully, is elders, church planters, missionaries sent all over the world, like all, people sent everywhere. Like So make sure the ceiling is high enough that it forces you to grow people up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then make sure there's multiplication built in every phase of the process. Yeah. For us, that's how we do that. That's huge. Yeah, that's a commitment everywhere. So that's great. Well, uh, Jeff, thanks for this time. I know this is, as we said on the front, one of the most critical things for a church to get right. Uh, or to continue to see growth in uh, as a way of reinforcing the very fruitfulness, the integrity, uh, the gospel advance uh, through through the churches into into the city. Um, so, yeah, thanks for, for the time, guys. I would just encourage you, if you lead a church, if you're in, a, in an elder seat or a church planting seat, to maybe listen to this podcast, trying to take away one or two things that you could go and do uh, even this month that would result in uh, a stronger elder development process. I think it'll bear ton of fruit. Um, As always, we're entering a new year. I know some of you are looking at uh, curriculum. You're looking at discipleship pathways. You're thinking about your groups. You're thinking about DNA. You're thinking about sermon series. I just want to encourage you to take a look at the Saturate uh, 
membership. Now there's a free five-day membership there that you can try it before you buy it, so to speak. And we're continuing to add new resources all the time to help you with mission communities, with DNA, uh, with just even general leadership. And, and I'm excited about this coming year, Jeff, because in 2021, I know it's on the docket for, for production. And uh, there's a ton of great content uh, that we're going to continue to bring to the audience. And, and, and really, it's just in service of churches getting stronger, uh, disciples being made, and kingdom advancing all over the world. So uh, thank you for listening. And until next time, uh, we pray that you would continue to see God advancing uh, the gospel through you, through your church, uh, into, into the world. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Justin Hugis. Saturate is committed to gospel saturation in North America and beyond until every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders discussing how Jesus is better, his church is more, and his mission is every day. Learn more and activate your Saturate membership at saturatetheworld.com.